We're continuing tonight in this series that we've been in called A Systematic Teaching on Spiritual Warfare and Deliverance. Systematic teaching is breaking down complex subjects into smaller, digestible parts that build upon one another, kind of precept upon precept. And so as I've been saying, um, if this topic interests you, I hope it does. Um, Whether it interests you or not, as a believer, you need to be discipled in this. So maybe I should say it that way. But um, if you missed the first three messages in this series, I really want to encourage you to go back and uh, listen to them because they do build on one another. Those first three messages were very theological, which and what that means is here's what's going on, all right? Here's what's going on in the world. Here's how things work. <laughs> here's why. Here's why. Here's why. We're entering into the 201 section of this series, so we're going to be uh, over the next few weeks, 201, 202, 203, and uh, we're going to be talking about in the, in the 201 section of this series different types of warfare that you can experience, okay? So what we're going to be starting to do is learning about um, triaging the types of spiritual warfare that we experience as people so that we know how to fight back or how to resist the devil. So we know James 4, 7 says, resist the devil and he will flee from you, okay? But the devil has different schemes, tactics, and strategies for different people, different places, different situations. There's different types of warfare, and you need to know how to respond to each type um, because you could resist the devil in a way that's ineffective, okay? And so the first section of this series was very much the why things are the way they are. Um, Now we're moving into how. How do we do this, okay? And it's kind of the beginning stages of how. That's why it's the 201 section. And so, as I said tonight, we're going to start talking about triaging types of warfare. Um, Jesus said in Mark 9, 28 and 29, uh, if you recall this story, I'll set it up and then I'm going to read this verse. Um, Jesus is up on the mountain with his disciples, the Mount of Transfiguration. He's transfigured before them. He is uh, illuminated. He is like, they see him in all of his glory. Moses and Elijah appear to him or appear next to him or with him. A cloud envelops them and they hear a voice of God the Father saying, this is my son, listen to him. Pretty awesome experience. They come down from that mountain, probably in all, right? Just like, whoa, that was amazing. They walk out or walk down and they find a crowd and there's a man there with his son, little kid son, who has what appears to be epilepsy seizures, but they're actually throwing him into fire or water to try to kill him. And this parent is discerning. This isn't just physical sickness, epilepsy. This is a demonic spirit, okay? He has a spirit that's causing physical health issues that are trying to destroy this young man's life. And so Jesus comes down. He says, hey, can you help me? I brought this, my son to your disciples to get them to cast this evil spirit out. But they couldn't do it. And, man, I love G. I resonate with this part uh, of, of Jesus' life. He sighs deeply. He's like, oh, you unbelieving and perverse generation. How long shall I put up with you? Right? Anybody ever think that when you watch the news? Right? We have a mutual mind of Christ. Right? Oh, you unbelieving and perverse generation. How long do we have to put up with you? Right? Um, and so they're like, we, your disciples couldn't drive this demon out. Right? And he says, bring the boy here to me. Jesus does some ministry. He talks to the dad. They have a conversation. I don't want to teach too deeply into this 
yet. There's a lot to learn from that story on spiritual warfare. And then eventually he casts the demon out of this little boy, okay? So now, with that in mind, let's, let's read those two verses. Mark 9, 28 and 29. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? This is bothering them so much because if you go back a few chapters, Mark chapter 6 is where he sends them out to heal the sick and drive out demons. And it says they were successful. So this is later on. They've went through by two by two, going to different towns and villages, commanding evil spirits to leave people, and it's working. Now when he's up on the mount, and Jesus was not with them, right? So, So... Now he's up on the mountain and this guy brings his son who has an evil spirit and they're thinking, oh, and they're not afraid like Jesus in here. Hey, we've just done a trip when Jesus wasn't with us and we were driving out demons because he gave us power and authority. Yeah, bring him here. And they start doing most likely whatever they had done, probably just commanding, come out. And it ain't working. Now that bothers them because they've been successful And now they get to something and they're not successful and it's bothering them. And so Jesus does some ministry with the father and then he drives it out. So then they get with him later and they're like, man, this is bothering me. Why couldn't we drive that one out? Now listen to what Jesus says. He replies, this kind can only come out by prayer. Now, some manuscripts, you'll see a little footnote in your Bible, and it'll, you'll look at that. It'll say, some manuscripts say, by prayer and fasting, okay? Now, here's why and fasting is not in your Bible, like in the verse, okay? And you need to understand this about the Bible. They look, Bible translators go by the very earliest manuscripts, okay? The earliest. Because if you go by the later ones, theoretically, somebody could have added that in there. If you're going by the very earliest, those are the most accurate, right? You see, see that logic? So the very earliest manuscripts just say this kind only comes out by prayer. Later manuscripts say by prayer and fasting. And so I know there's some controversy right now. It's like, oh, these new Bibles, they're missing verses. Um, what that means is Bible comment, Bible. So the King James, it has all the verses. Oh, it's the, it's the true word of God. The Bible commentators in, or translators in 1611 said, let's just use all the manuscripts and let's put every verse in there that every manuscript has, even if some don't have it. That's why that has that, okay? So now they're going, hey, we're going to be intellectually honest. We're just going to put in the earliest verses. And if there are later manuscripts with a little additional thing like this, we'll put a footnote and we'll put it in there. It's still in there, right? If you want to look it up yourself, but it's not part of the earliest manuscript. So that's just a little thing about how Bible translation works. But what was the main point of what I was saying? Oh, yeah. This kind only comes out by prayer. Now, let's, I'm going to say prayer and fasting, okay? Um, and I have my reasons for that. I've seen fasting be effective in spiritual warfare. That's why. Um, and so this kind, two things we learned from this. There are apparently different types of demonic forces or spiritual forces of evil. And apparently you, you deal with different kinds with a different strategy. This kind only comes out by prayer. Now, the other account of this story says, it's because of your faith. You didn't have enough faith. 
Now, again, when it comes to the Bible, you're going, okay, and I, I don't know. It's, it's one of the other Gospels, that story. I didn't look up which one that's in, Luke or John or whatever, and, and, or Matthew. And you look it up, and you might say, well, that, he said this. And, and critics of the Bible go, oh, you know, you know, Matthew said that this kind of, you know, it's because of your faith. And Mark here said this, it's because this kind only come out by prayer. See, that's a contradiction. No, here's what happened. It actually gives validity to the scriptures. There's different witnesses who heard him, you know, so they talked to the different disciples. And one of the disciples said, no, he said that uh, it was because of our faith. Remember that? And he tells, you know, the other gospel writer. And then the guy talking to Mark, uh, or Mark, I mean, talking to, say, Peter, uh, most scholars believe. And Peter's like, oh, he said this kind only comes out by prayer. That's what it was. So, so what happened there? Jesus said both, <laughs> right? So why couldn't we drive it out? Well, it's because of your faith. You didn't have enough faith. And this kind only comes out by prayer. And so each of the different witnesses wrote down a different account. In fact, in, the, in, the, um, even in our modern judicial system, if, a, if different witnesses' stories match exactly word for word, they go, something's up. Because humans don't work like that. These people have talked about a story, right? So the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they have very slight variations, but they're all complementary. Okay, uh, another example is when they go to the resurrection, it says they saw two angels. Another one said they saw one angel. Well, if they saw one angel, did they also see, or if they saw two angels, did they also see one angel? Yes. And when you read it, it's like, oh, they saw an angel and the angel said this. Okay, this one says they saw two angels. Well, if they saw two angels, they also saw one angel, right? It's not, it's not a contradiction. It's a complementary account. And so anyways, must be somebody wrestling with those questions in the room tonight because that's a whole other sermon. Um, but the two things we learned from Mark 9, this kind only comes out by prayer. So most likely when they were being successful in Mark chapter 6, they're just going around commanding, hey, come out of that person in Jesus' name. Woo! Demon comes out. They try that on this one. It's not working. This kind, different type of demonic force or perhaps a different reason that the demonic force is in the person. So just commanding it isn't working. That's interesting. This kind of demon or this kind of reason that it's in there, perhaps, needs a different strategy, okay? So I want to point out, and I just want to learn from that story, that we need to be able to triage and diagnose what is spiritual warfare, right? And how do we know when we're under it? And then once we do know that, what type of spiritual warfare are we experiencing? So that we know how to respond and we know how to respond the right way. I did have this in my notes. Uh, do you ever remember watching the, the Indiana Jones movies, right? Anybody? Any fans? Are you afraid to like secular movies in church tonight? Or All right. I watched them growing up when I was a kid, and I wasn't saved yet, so I can say that I enjoyed it. Anyways, that was a joke. All right, man, tough crowd tonight. Okay. But that first movie, I remember losing it as a little kid. One of my favorite scenes in the movie, um, which I, you know, I'm being convicted right now, glorifies killing. But anyways, he's being chased by bad guys. And he gets this, it's a scene where there's a crowd, and there's a guy with a sword, and he's got this huge sword, and he starts doing all these sword moves. He's like, and it's like trying to intimidate, and he just goes, he just pulls out his gun and shoots him, right? And it's just like, you know, you ever heard the saying, don't bring a knife to a gunfight? 
So when it comes to spiritual warfare, if you're not triaging and diagnosing the right way, you might apply the wrong strategy and not see it be effective. And so we need to be able to triage what we're experiencing, what type of warfare, and why, why we're experiencing it so that we know what to do and so we, we know how to respond. We've been promised victory. Can I get an amen? We fight from victory, knowing that if we are fighting from, from Christ, from his power and authority in us, and we're doing it the way that he's going to be training us to do it, we're going to win. Okay? We know that. We're promised that. And we also know, Luke 10, 19, nothing will harm us when we engage in spiritual warfare. So that great verse, Luke 10, 19, he saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. He's given us authority to trample on snakes and scorpions, which is to defeat devils, is what that means, and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Whatever you come up against, he's given you authority to overcome it and to trample on it. It's under your feet. And I love Caleb Hensley's sermon several weeks ago. He said, that verse under your feet, whenever the Bible says that, the imagery is not Jesus with his ottoman and there's devils under the ottoman. No, the imagery is in the Old Testament, I think it was Joshua conquering the promised land and he lines up the kings they defeated and he said, come here guys, come here warriors, put your foot on their necks. That's what it means to trample on snakes and scorpions. And Jesus wants his enemies to be a footstool under his feet, under your feet, Christ in you. How do I know that? Romans 16, 19, youth camp. Did you ever sing that song at youth camp? Romans 16, 19 says Romans. It's like a total like 80s rock song that's worship, you know? And the God of peace will soon crush Satan and the God will crush him underneath your feet. Huh, God of peace. No, you guys didn't sing that one? We sang that one at the youth camps I went to and we'd always go, huh, you know, on that part. That's what it says. And the God of peace, it's actually Romans 16, 19, and 20. <laughs> uh, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Think about that, church. Theological implications. And the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. So we know the first proclamation of the gospel, Genesis 3.15 He's putting enmity between Satan and the woman. And he, the seed of the woman, will crush Satan's head. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus has ascended, right? He ultimately defeated the devil on the cross. He took back authority and power for us. He's won the victory. It's finished. Now Jesus fills his believers. He's inside of us. Jesus is in here. And through us, through an empowered believer, he wants us doing warfare, trampling on snakes and scorpions because we're the ones who are going to finish this out. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. And so he wants us doing warfare and he wants us winning. And so we need to know what types of warfare we're encountering. It can be helpful to know what type of entity you're encountering. But really, you deal with all of them the same way. 
And so it's important to know what type of warfare you're encountering. It's important to know what the enemy's doing, what scheme and tactic and strategy they're using. And it's important to know, therefore, what strategy do you apply to, to win that battle. So I want to talk about over the next three weeks, which um, we're going to, let's see here, this week, we're going to take a break next week. We're going to, Father's Day, we're going to talk about uh, double blessing of Father God and, and all that goodness. And then we'll jump back into this after Father's Day weekend. But the next three messages in this series, um, we're going to talk about three types of warfare, okay? And the three types are this. Uh, and this is, this is how I would define it, all right? Three types of warfare we're gonna, we, that we encounter, okay? Oppression, what I would call holds or strongholds, okay? Or I'll just say strongholds. And then possession, Okay, and possession is the scary one that you've seen movies about, that type of thing, right? It's really not scary. In fact, when I do teach on that, I hope to remove the stigma of what it is, and I hope to remove the fear um, because these people are victims, and they need help. And the vast majority of people who have severe demonic issues, they didn't go into whatever they were going into thinking, I can't wait to get a demon inside of me and go insane and want to harm myself and, and all that kind of stuff. No, they're like trying to do what most of us try to do through sin, which is comfort ourselves and so on and so forth. And they just get in over their heads and then they have uninvited guests come in and, and then they're like, oh boy. And they need a doctor. They need a spiritual doctor who can help them get, get free. And when you know what you're doing um, and how things work, <laughs> that's nothing to fear actually. Um, and... And so I hope to remove the stigma of that um, because there are probably possessed people in this region and they're probably terrified and their families are probably terrified. And people would say, you need God and they might have tried a church and the church goes, we don't know what to do with this because the average American church doesn't know what to do with that. And so they go, go put them in the psych ward. And I have a lot of compassion and I don't want to see that happen. And so the Lord is raising up a church that knows how to deal with the worst of the worst situations. And if we can deal with that, then we can deal with anything. Amen? Okay. All right. That was a pretty good amen. You guys are with me. So we're going to talk about, we're going to take a week and talk about each of these types of spiritual warfare. Okay? Um, And so... With that being said, I want to spend the rest of, well, I do want to say this. I want to spend the rest of our time tonight talking about spiritual oppression, okay? And that, that type of warfare, okay? And then how you respond and what to do to combat it. Um, I do want to say this. These types of warfare, these can all happen personally, corporately, on like uh, families, churches, um, nations, or in places, in places. So it can happen personally to you, it can happen in a family, or it can happen in like a place. There can be oppression on you, there can be oppression on your family, there can be oppression on a, on a region, a church, a city, right? There can be strongholds in you, there can be strongholds in your family, there can be strongholds in a nation, <laughs> there can be strongholds in a, in a place, right? And same thing with possession. We always think of people, but there are houses 
The word possession just means it's occupied territory by a demonic entity. And you've heard me say a few times, we've helped several people in our church who have, quote-unquote, haunted houses, and there's weird stuff happening. Yeah, there's a demonic presence, okay? And so that's no big deal, by the way, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. And there's a, a prayer on our website, uh, freepeople.church, slash pray, and it's called the house blessing prayer. And if you have that kind of activity going on at your house, do that house blessing prayer, okay? And so, and I even heard a story from a friend that goes to church here who drives a, a truck, a semi, and he just started doing that again. And so he got a new truck, and it, you know, it wasn't a new truck, it was somebody else's truck. Now he's driving it, and there was some weird stuff going on, and he had a prophetic dream, and he realized there's a demonic presence in my truck, and I didn't, I didn't invite it in, you know, the last person did or whatever. And so he prays over the truck, and there was some supernatural stuff that happened. And he got rid of this thing from his truck. He cleansed his truck, all right? So, um, and, and as far as possession goes, too, um, demonic spirits can dwell and inhabit or possess objects. And this is where you talk about the occult cursing objects and placing them. And this is why if you go overseas and it's like, you know, I'm probably getting ahead of myself, but I'll just say this real quickly and then we'll jump back to oppression. If you ever go overseas or anywhere else where there's like tribal things and all this, it's like, hey, um, let's honor them by participating in the local tribal religion and they're going to do a little dance and what they do and they're going to bless us. I would not do that if I were you. Do not participate in that, okay? And then you go to the market and it's like, oh, and here's their little, this is their little God and it's like a card figurine. I'm going to buy that for my friend, and I'm going to take that home and give it as a gift. A lot of these false religions, again, we say false. We don't mean they're not real. They're, they're real demonic entities. Um, they're false because they're evil. <laughs> and then these, they're idols. They have demonic spirits attached to them or possessing these things. And if you bring that into your home, you've brought that in. That's giving them permission to oppress you in your home. And so we've had people recently here that have had objects in their home that are that have a demonic presence and they have oppression happening um nightmares not able to sleep you know oppression can take many different forms right oppressive thoughts so on and so forth and then they realize the holy spirit reveals it's this object and you need to get rid of that you need to get out of your house and so um i suppose that's relevant for tonight because oppression can happen through objects and that's why I, I say in the house cleansing prayer, um, when you do that, if you've never done that, you need to do it. You need to do it over your house, like tonight when you get home. Um, and part of that is, first, remove anything sinful from your home. And, it, you know, if, of course, things like pornography, you know, so on and so forth, um, games that are evil, horror movies, <sighs> Please don't watch horror movies and get rid of them. And if you have the physical DVDs and tapes, get rid of them. Burn them. Throw them away. Do not sell them because you're just giving a demon to somebody else, all right? (laughs) And so, um, what was I going to say about that, though? Oh, the house blessing prayer. Um, After removing objects that are potentially, and by the way, here's a good rule of thumb. When in doubt, throw it out. If you're not sure and you're like, oh, I don't really know about this, throw it out, okay? Um, and then uh, after that, man, I had a point in sharing that in the house blessing prayer. And after objects, somebody that knows the house blessing prayer, what's after objects? What is it? 
bed and bedding? I don't remember that part. Sorry. Um, no. <laughs> Sorry, that's what I, was, I wasn't thinking of that one. Objects. Oh, my goodness. This is bothering me. Remove objects from your home. Repent of any sin that's ever been done in your home. Um, anoint your, your house with oil and things like that. That's, I, okay, I just lost my train of thought. I don't know. If it's important, the Lord will bring it back. I'm not going to look up that prayer. Um, there was something else I was going to tell you about that was relevant to that. Um, and oppression. Um, yeah, I'm just going to let it go. Okay, we'll just move on. If it's important, we'll come back to it. Okay. Anyways, if you've never done that prayer, it is bothering me. <laughs> if you've never done that prayer, uh, you should do it over your household. And uh, it's, it's really awesome. Um, okay, the Lord says don't let it go. So give me a minute. It's important. I know I'll know it when I, uh, when I look it up here. Oh, yes, please. Thank you. See, look at this. This is amazing. Oh, here we go. Yes, remove stuff, yes. Oh, yeah, okay. Oh, yeah, that's what I wanted to say. There it is. Of course, of course, guys, of course, if you have Ouija boards, tarot cards, crystal balls, palm reading, psychic, new age, any, any religious or spiritual items that are not Christian, get them out, get them out. They can have demonic spirits attached to them, and they they because you're allowing that in your house, you're it's like you invited them in, and that's why they're allowed to do that. Now it's not always an object that allows a demonic presence to you know be in your house and mess around. Sometimes it's people who lived there before you and stuff they did, and and it's just there. Well, you're a Christian now, right? They're not just going to leave because you move in right? Um, remember the example of being a police officer. Does the robbery stop just because you're there? No. You need to exert your power and authority. And if you say, hey, I'm a Christian. You do this prayer. Hey, I'm standing in my power and authority in Christ. You got to leave, bro. <laughs> uh, they leave, and it's pretty awesome. Um, and so anything spiritual that's not Christian, uh, get rid of it. And so like I said, all those kind of new age occult stuff, tarot cards, crystal balls, crystals, palm reading, sage, all that junk, um, Buddha statues, all that junk, um, and then anything religious. So that's why I say you go to a cult, you go to Africa, and it's like, oh, carved, carved, weird carving of a person could very well be connected to their, their religious practices, ancestor worship, witch doctors, I would not bring that stuff home with you. Okay, I'm good. That's what I wanted to say. Anything religious or spiritual that's not Christian, okay? Um, some Christian cults will take Bibles and do weird stuff. So if it's a weird type of Bible, uh, like a Masonic Bible, or there's some other lesser-known weirder ones, um, Book of Mormon, you know, stuff like that, just just get it out, Okay? I don't have time to go into, well, why are you saying Masonic? Why are you saying Book of Mormon? 
I'll just say they're not of the Lord. <laughs> and, and I know that. I don't think that. I don't believe that. I know that. Um, you find people that have demonic issues that are associated with those things. And we may do a future week on those things specifically. Um, but you need to cleanse your house of these things, okay? Um, if you look, pornography can open a huge door, okay? I'm getting into next week. So uh, we're just going to come back to oppression. All right. So that's just some tidbits. Pray into those things. If there's anything in your house, do a house cleansing. Do the prayer. All right. That's your homework. I was supposed to say all this at the end. So there you go. Um, so oppression, what is it and how do we deal with it? How's it different from strongholds or possession, right? So oppression defined, the word oppression means this, according to Webster's Dictionary, prolonged, cruel, or unjust treatment or control, the state of being subject to unjust treatment or control, mental pressure or distress, a sense of being weighed down in body or mind. Isn't that interesting? Pressure control, mental, emotional, being weighed down in body or mind. Now listen to this, Luke 4, 18. This is Jesus saying, this is my mission on the earth, quoting Isaiah 61. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. It goes on from there. It's listing, you know, proclaiming the gospel, setting prisoners free, and setting the oppressed free. These are different things that he's listing, okay? So when you're setting a prisoner free, you know, they're probably bound up with strongholds of the enemy. The possessed people absolutely want to set them free. People who are held in captive to sin, sinners who don't know Jesus yet, yeah, set those prisoners free. But you can be oppressed by the devil, by demonic forces, by temptation. And if you're living constantly under oppression, that's not freedom, right? If you're constantly tempted all the time, temptation is oppression. If you're constantly having negative oppressive thoughts, you're not full of the fruit of the spirit, which is love, joy, and peace, okay? And and so... Jesus wants to set you free. Think of it this way. In World War II, Germany did air raids and bombed London, England for eight straight months, constantly from September 1940 to May 1941. Now, was London, England free? Was it a free country? Yes. They, they weren't, you know, Germany hadn't invaded. They hadn't won the war. They, there weren't Germans. They weren't occupied. The German soldiers weren't there like, like with guns, like you're our slaves now. No, 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 no. London, England was still free, free country, sovereign state. The enemy wasn't occupying the territory, but oh my goodness, they were being harassed. Constant bombing. And so because of the constant bombing, did the the people living in London, England have peace? No, That's, that's terrible. It's constant oppression. It's attack of the enemy. And that's what oppression, spiritual warfare, is like. Here's what you need to know as a believer in Jesus about oppressive spiritual warfare. It can happen to anybody at any time for no good reason at all. Okay? There is a stigma with deliverance ministry and with spiritual warfare in our culture today And it's similar to the stigma of the man who was born blind in Jesus' day. 
Now, this man had a physical handicap. He was born blind. They had a theology that said, and they literally asked, the disciples of Jesus asked him as they're walking out, like, oh, look at that guy. This guy was born blind. Huh, look at that. Hey, Jesus, who sinned? Was it him or his parents that caused him to be born blind? We know somebody sinned because when we know that somebody has a physical handicap, we know that God is like punishing them. And Jesus is like, nobody sinned. It's not because of sin that he was born blind. It was for the greater glory of God. That's what Jesus said. He was born blind for the glory of God. What did Jesus mean by that? Well, Jesus heals him. (laughs) And God gets greater glory through this man being born blind. Jesus said, he was born blind so I can heal him. And God can get greater glory. He was born blind with this horrific problem so God can do a miracle in his life and get greater glory. That's why. Had nothing to do with someone's sin. Well, here's the deal with spiritual warfare and deliverance ministry in our day and age. Now, in our day and age, if you're physically sick, that's nobody's fault, right? We don't have that theology anymore, especially in the church, right? Nobody is like, oh, I'm sick. And it's like, oh, you must be sinning in some way, right? There, there are probably some churches and pastors who might just push that, put that on you. But by and large, we've, we've dealt with that. But now in the church, when it comes to having demonic issues, having spiritual oppression, we treat it the same way. Like we're afraid to talk about the oppression we experience because we know our fellow brother and sister is going to think, oh, what have you been doing? You must be sinning, (laughs) right? You must have sinned in some way to allow the enemy to attack you. This is the book of Job. Job gets horrifically oppressed by the enemy. Horrifically. He loses everything. We know it's Satan. The first few chapters tell us it's Satan. It's not God. Satan comes in. Horrible storm. Horrible enemies coming. Raiding his farm. A storm comes. All of his kids are in one house. Tornado hits it. They all die. Loses everything in one day except his wife. And she's just like, curse God and die. That's brutal. His friends come, three friends. They sit with him for seven days and they say absolutely nothing and they weep with him for seven days. Now that's, some, that's good friendship. That's mourning with those who mourn and this dude's mourning about as much as you can grieve. And they sit with him for seven days, they say nothing and they mourn with him. That's, that's good comforting. That's good job, guys. Then they open their mouths. <laughs> and the rest of the book is them going like 30-some chapters. Well, you know, you must have sinned in some way. I mean, look at this. Now, we know it's spiritual warfare attack, and they're saying you must have sinned in some way for all this bad stuff to happen to you. And you get to the end of the book, and God goes, you three are in trouble. You have not spoken truth about me to Job. You've not been good friends. You have not been prophesying to him truth. And so Job needs to pray for you so that I'll forgive you Because you really mistreated him. And so we need to get rid of this stigma of spiritual warfare and of deliverance ministry. Because if you're struggling, there are times you're, I hope to equip you through this series that when you're struggling under spiritual warfare, I really hope that there are times you don't need to get someone else's help because you're like, oh, wait a second, this is what's going on. You know how to pray and it lifts and you're good and you won that battle. 
You need to be equipped in that way so that you can win battles on your own at times. But there are some battles that are so severe and so strong, you need to enlist the help of other believers. And if you're going to do that, geez, what do you think one of the strategies is? Oh, you can't tell anybody. Ugh. They're going to know you're a sinner. Ugh. And you're sitting there going, I don't even think I've done anything wrong and I'm just getting hammered. But I don't want people to think I've done something wrong and mistrust me and think bad things about me because my life's getting hammered by the enemy. And so I hope Holy Spirit come right now and just remove this stigma. And I'm going to show it to you in scripture, okay? Especially when it comes to oppression, a spiritual attack. It can happen to anybody at any time for no good reason. For no reason. Except the enemy hates you and wants to attack, steal, kill, and destroy your life. So anybody can get oppressed. Matthew 4 and Luke chapter 4 both record the temptation of Christ where Satan literally appears to him in a visible and audible form, even teleports him to different places on the earth as part of this attack, all right? Now, if you don't believe teleportation is a thing, go read Acts chapter 8, 39 and 40 after Philip baptizes the Ethiopian eunuch, all right? That's pretty cool. But let me ask you a question. By the way, I know many stories where people roll over in their bed, they wake up, and there's a demon standing there in their house. And it oppresses them, right? That's scary. Can we admit that? When that kind of stuff happens, that's, that's freaky deaky, right? So can you imagine what puts your, like we read Luke 4, Matthew 4, and we're just kind of like, oh yeah, the devil came to Jesus. Well, he's Jesus, he's devil, of course he's there, and he's tempting him. And you know, yeah, but Jesus said it is written, and he went away. It's no big deal. It's no big deal. Imagine it happened to you. Not just some demon, Satan, Satan himself, the dude, shows you can see him with your eyes. He's talking to you, and you can hear him audibly. Then he takes you, I'm assuming against your will, because would you want to go with him up to the peak of the temple? Are you afraid of heights? I don't know. Was Jesus? Probably not, but I don't know. Takes him up there. Hey, why don't you cast yourself down? Oh, now I'm going to take you, whisk you away. Look at all the kingdoms of the world. They've been given to me. You think this is an enjoyable experience? Let me ask you, if this happened to you, would this be terrifying? I don't know if Jesus was terrified, you know, because he's Jesus. Maybe he has true inner peace and he's just like, let's get this over with, right? You and I, it's probably a terrifying experience. We would probably act like, let's get this over with, you know, but inside we're a little scared. So let me ask you, would this be oppressive to you? Yes. Do you want the enemy showing up in your bedroom or at your house or wherever and doing weird stuff and telling you stuff and trying to tempt you literally, explicitly? No, that's oppression. So here's the deal. This is severe oppression, severe attack. My goodness. And here's the deal. This happened to Jesus Christ. Jesus was morally perfect. Jesus had done nothing wrong. In fact, one of the things about oppression and attack of the enemy, if you, the more faithful you are to God and the more bold you are in living out his calling on your life, you need to expect you're going to be attacked or oppressed even more so than when you used to not do anything for God. Because Jesus is doing exactly what the Father wants, and that is why 
he gets attacked. And so how twisted is the theology that, oh, if you're being attacked, if you had a spiritual warfare dream, or if you if this happened to you, how twisted is that that we think, oh, you must have sinned in some way? Or maybe you're a man or woman of God who's not compromising. You're going after the kingdom and the enemy hates your guts and he's being defeated by you or your ministry again and again. He's like, guys, we got to do something about this guy. Send in another attack. Send in somebody else. Send in the other demons. Send in the principality. Send in a raiding party. Let's go. Oppress this guy. Tempt him. We got to stop him. That's what happened to Jesus. Jesus is morally perfect. He's never done anything wrong. And he gets severely oppressed by the devil himself. So this is so important to know about spiritual warfare, about being attacked, and about oppression. You per, especially oppression. This is what is separating for me oppression from strongholds. You have not done anything wrong. There's no sin involved. So when it comes to you how do you respond to an oppressive attack? You don't need to repent. And remember that, because I'm going to explain that. You don't need to repent. There are things you need to do, and I'm going to show you what they are, but you don't need to repent when it's oppression, because you've not done anything to deserve this. And you need to know that. So, I'm going to read this story, and we're going to walk through it. Matthew chapter 3, I'm starting, and remember, originally the Bible didn't have chapter and verse, so this is one continue, continuous story when it was originally written. Matthew 3, 16 to 17, end of chapter 3, flowing right in next few verses in chapter 4, starting chapter 4. It says in chapter 3, 16 to 17, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending on like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love, and with him I am well pleased. Wow. Jesus gets baptized, comes up, Holy Spirit comes down on him. Voice from heaven, Father goes, oh, look, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Wow, favor of God, amazing. Very next verse, Matthew chapter four, verse one. Then, when, right after his baptism, right after he's anointed with the Holy Spirit, then, right after he hears the Father's favor and the Father's voice, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. The whole reason the Holy Spirit led him to the wilderness was because he knew he was going to face temptation, oppression, spiritual attack. The Holy Spirit set that up on purpose. Which teaches us this. God will allow spiritual attacks on your life. Duh. Right? Right? It's part of your training. In the book of Judges, it says he left some giants in the land to teach warfare to the generation growing up who had never d- experienced warfare before. That's the only reason he left them in the land. Oh, your kids don't know warfare. You know what? Leave a few of the giants. Because they need to know how to fight. He lets you feel the fight to teach you how to fight. Why? Because we're supposed to be freedom fighters. We're supposed to be going and setting oppressed people free, captives free. We're supposed to be setting people free from strongholds. We're supposed to be kicking down the gates of hell in people's lives. We're supposed to be ministering to possessed individuals and seeing them totally and radically set free in the name of Jesus. 
And you're not going to know how to do that if you can't win your own personal battles. So that's where it starts. It starts with you. It starts with what you go through. And so then, after his baptism, he's led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. So Jesus is preparing for ministry, is perfectly obedient to God, and then he is in that moment, even severely oppressed and attacked by the devil while he's fasting, while he's praying, while he's seeking God with all that he is. Anybody like, oh, the Lord's calling me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to church more. I'm going to read my Bible more. I'm going to pray more. And oh, oh, the attacks just start ramping up. It says, the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. He's tempting Jesus to do a miracle. Wow, that's interesting. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. By the way, every attack, every temptation on Jesus was on his identity and authority as the son of God. The attack and the temptation was on his identity. Who are you? Jesus knew who he was. Satan knew he knew who he was. So his temptation was, prove it. The temptation was performance. The enemy will tempt you to perform and to prove just to get you out of trusting and obeying. And here's the temptation and the oppression. How diabolical is this? Be being tempted to do things for God that are not of God. You're the son of God. Tell the stones to become bread. Do a miracle. Prove it. Huh. That's interesting. I remember when I first actually had faith for miracles. Because <laughs> I grew up in churches that didn't really believe fully that God's still doing what he's always done. And so I didn't believe that we could lay hands on the sick and pray and see them get healed. I didn't believe we could cast out demons. I didn't believe we would do greater things than these. I didn't believe that if somebody had a horrific problem with their car, it's like, let's pray. Maybe God will just heal their car. <laughs> Fix their radiator. I don't know. <laughs> Miracles. Woo! I didn't believe it then. When I started first getting faith for it, I remember being in prayer meetings and like somebody comes in in a wheelchair. And I remember having this internal battle. And it's like, I believe this now. And I'm being tempted to yell at them to get up. Get up out of the chair. <laughs> Why do I say I was being tempted to do that? Because upon further reflection in those younger days, I was being tempted to prove that I have faith. It had my posture in heart to minister to them had nothing to do with my compassion for them in a wheelchair and my love for them. It was like oppression. You really believe that you can have faith to see them get out? Prove it. Pray, command, get up, take your wheelchair and go home. Prove it. And I would have this internal battle. And I'll just say to you, when you're praying for people, ministering to people, if you're having that internal battle, it is oppression, it is the enemy. You're not hearing, you're not seeing them through God's eyes. <laughs> if God's ever going to do a miracle like that through me or you, and I pray that he does, it will be through our compassion and our love for the individual. We won't even be thinking about us. We won't even be thinking about our faith do I have enough faith to make this happen? You just need to chill and back off at that point. 
Because then ministering to a person will be about you proving something rather than helping them. Just back off. You don't have enough faith yet. Chill. You don't have enough love yet. Jesus went, or Peter and John went to the temple, and when the, the, home, the homeless beggar, well, the, the beggar guy, I'm adding homeless in there, but you know, the beggar guy staring at them. And, and it says, Peter and John look right back at him. And, and Peter says, I don't have silver or gold, but what I have to you, I give to you in the name of Jesus, get up. Peter was not trying to prove something. He was looking into the eyes of a paralytic who had not walked, and his heart is wrenched with compassion. He's like, oh, my goodness, what would it be like for, for, for me to be you? What would it be like? Oh, this must be so awful. And here you sit begging every day. Oh, this is so terrible. And the Holy Spirit's like, yeah, why don't you do something about it? Because you've got a gift. You've got the Spirit of God. Command him. Let's go. And Peter's like, heck, yeah. <laughs> Get up. And the man gets up. And so when we pray, when we minister, it's out of love and compassion. It's out of waiting. It's out of trusting and obedience. And it says, filled with the Holy Spirit, Peter says. The Holy Spirit will lead you and he'll fill you to do miracles. But you don't need to force it to make it happen just to prove you have faith. And so that's what, that's what Jesus is being tempted with by the devil. <sighs> And th- I mean, the devil's exerting his great power, whisking him away. Hey, I can do this to you. I can show you all the kings of the earth. Why don't you prove something here? What are you going to do? If you seek to do God's will on the earth and bring the kingdom, you will be attacked. You will be oppressed. Expect it. Don't fear it. But you need to expect it. Second Timothy 3.12. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Persecution is oppression. When you do the will of God, Jesus comes out of the wilderness and he boldly starts preaching truth and the devil incites people to attack him. Pharisees to try to kill him and then they eventually do kill him. That was spiritual warfare. That was oppression. Okay? So, temptation is oppression. This is called the temptation of Christ. Okay? If you're, if you're constantly tempted to look at pornography, that is the enemy flying over your city, dropping bombs on you all day. He's harassing you. He's getting you to try to think about it all the time. Why? So you finally get sick of it and give into it. God says in his word that he doesn't tempt anyone, but when you're tempted, he does provide a way out so you can stand up under it. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. There are ways to fight back. If you're constantly tempted, that's oppression. There's ways to fight that spiritually to make it stop, to make it go away, okay? And I've helped men get free of pornography and lust stuff and adultery stuff because that lust and lustful thinking and all that was part of my story when I was a young man about 20 years old, struggled with that for like 10, 11 years of my life, right? And God set me free from it, and that's amazing. And I experienced this the first year or two coming out of that, and I've counseled many men who they get free of the stronghold of that. That's, that's a stronghold action if, when you're agreeing with it. That's not, when, when you're agreeing with and participating, now you've got a stronghold. We'll talk about that next week. But whether it's, tim, 
So they get free of the stronghold, but then they still have the, the regular temptation. They still think about that stuff pretty much every day. And they're bombarded every day. And I encourage them all the time, stay faithful, keep reading the word, focusing on your, your purpose, renewing your mind, praying, doing some of the things. I'm going to talk to you about how to resist oppression here in a few minutes. Do that every day. And listen, it will get better. It will get better. There's even neuropathways involved when you've looked at porn every day and now you're not looking at porn every day and your brain needs to change and there's physiologic things, there's spiritual things. And listen, give it a year. And in a year, maybe two years, however long it takes, however long it takes, here's freedom in Christ. Man, I used to be thinking about that, being tempted, like, like, like severely tempted, like, oh, I'm really uh, I'm being pulled. I want to do this, but I don't want to do this. Romans 7, what a wretched man I am. God wants you to get to, to a place of freedom where you're like, oh, yeah, man, I don't even think about that stuff most days. And then every now and then some, I see an ad or I see a movie or I see something, and I'm like, oh, yeah, oh, gross. And there's some temptation. It's like I resist it. And then I move on, and, and again, most days I don't even think about being tempted by sexual things. That is freedom. That's freedom from oppression. God wants to get you to that place. Setting the oppressed free, and it's possible. That's the space I live in. I don't even think about sexual morality or being tempted by it most days. Most days. Now, at this point in my life, because God set me free from the stronghold, which we'll talk about next week, and then I had a period where I was being tempted every single day, pretty much, and I I was being oppressed to come back into that, and I had to resist, okay? So, Let's keep reading verse 5. The devil took him to the holy city, had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, there it is again, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Now the devil is quoting scripture. Woo! The devil will do this to you. I call it the masquerading spirit if you are totally sold out for Jesus. I'll tell you a story, Lord willing, here in a few minutes about severe oppression I was under several years ago, and the devil would tempt me to do things for God that were not of God, and it just disturbed me, and it was frustrating, and it was oppression, and so you need to, you need, if he can't t- get you to fall into money sin, or drunkenness sin, or drug sin, or sex sin, this guy actually really loves Jesus and wants to do God's will. Okay, let's tempt him. Let's just masquerade as God's voice and totally confuse him and, and make him think God's a jerk or heavy-handed or so on and so forth, or he's going to go to hell or, or whatever, right? So you need to have discernment, especially when you're, you're trying to discern the Holy Spirit's voice. So Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. So the devil quotes a scripture, and Jesus is like, that's a bad interpretation. It's also written. The full counsel of the word of God, all right? Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms in the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, this is a key part for oppression. This is a key tactic in spiritual warfare. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. 
You've probably heard this story before if you've been around church, and you've probably heard the really important part of it is written, that three times Jesus is tempted, three times Jesus says it is written. Very, very important to know the word of God. It helps give you discernment. It helps give you wisdom. It is the sword of the spirit. The, it, the devil hates it when we use the word of God because it's truth, because he's always trying to lie to us and deceive us, to, to disempower us, to disarm us. You know, Jesus disarmed the devil on the cross. He wants our arm, our armor, our, when you're armed and dangerous, whoo, you, you got the sword of God. You got the truth of God. And he wants to disarm you. He wants to take your weapon away. And so we need to know the word of God. It's so, 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 so very important. But here's what I want to point out. Jesus Christ himself did not just quote scripture. Again, Luke's version doesn't have this detail. He said, away from me, Satan. Luke's version doesn't have that. Matthew's does. It's not contradictory. It's complimentary. It means Jesus said both. He said it is written three times, but he, said, he did say, away from me, Satan. That's a command. Now, Jesus didn't have to say, in my own name, away from me. He didn't have to say, in the name of me, leave now. He is Jesus. He is the Son of God. He has all power and authority. Away from me, Satan. That last verse, verse 10 there, it says, then the devil left him. When? After he said it is written a few times, no, devil's still pestering him. When? (sighs) I'm getting fed up with this oppression. Oh, I know it's oppression. Oh, I realize this is spiritual warfare. Away from me, Satan, in the mighty name of Jesus, leave now because it is written. Then quote the scriptures or quote the scriptures first and then tell him to leave. But here's what we find in the life of Jesus, the pattern of Jesus, the example of Jesus, an authoritative command to the enemy. Resist the devil, authoritative command. Now, some scholars, some church leaders might be like, well, that's Jesus, he's Jesus, he can do that, we can't do that. There's some people who teach that. Except we have another example from the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 16, which we did look at last week, where there was a little girl with the demonic spirit, and he said, he got so annoyed, and he said, in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. And it comes out. Now we have a disciple of Jesus using the authoritative command to make a demonic spirit leave. It wasn't even his oppression. Well, it was his oppression, actually, wasn't it? He was being oppressed. He was being annoyed. <laughs> oh, Wish this little girl would shut up. (laughs) After many days, in the name of Jesus, come out of her. Leave me alone. And it came out. An authoritative command. Very, very important. We need to know scripture. We need to quote scripture as we're being tempted with the oppression of lies. But this is why when we talk about spiritual warfare prayers, they almost always include authoritative commands. If you look at our house blessing prayer, if you look at the John Eldridge daily prayer, there's repentance in there. Why is that? There's renouncing. I renounce these things that I've thought or I did or that whatever. There's repentance and renouncing. Why is that? We'll talk more about that next week. 
Because sometimes you have invited things. Sometimes you have agreed with things. Sometimes you've had a part to play in this. What we're talking about this week is oppression, attacks that can come where you didn't sin, you have no part. And in those cases, I'm telling you, you don't need to repent. You just need to tell the devil where to go, which is away from you. Why do I say that? Well, I'll tell you a little story. Um, and this, is, this story is part of the reason that I am so passionate about spiritual warfare. Um, when I was in Michigan, still know the date that this happened, seared in my memory. Um, I didn't, I didn't, wasn't raised in churches that talked about all this. The church I was in didn't get into all this, didn't get into Holy Spirit or spiritual warfare. So I was not well equipped. I didn't have great discernment. I knew the word of God. I knew the basics. But um, I didn't know what I know now about all this. So I'm going to try to make this brief. I went to preach a sermon one Sunday at that church, standing on a stage in front of a few hundred people. And I still was inexperienced as a preacher at the time. I'd only preached maybe, could probably count on one hand, the number of sermons I preached. So there was still some anxiety and fear there about preaching, you know, standing in front of people. And... The sermon was called From Creeds to Deeds, not just saying we believe things, but doing it, living it out. That's about all I remember of it. Had it written out. Had it, I used my computer that week for notes. I had it fully charged. Everything was fine. I get up to preach, and my mind keeps going blank. And there was, there was an attack earlier that week that I won't get into that was oppression that was connected. But uh, the result of it is I get up, and by the way, I did not sin. There was no wrongdoing in my life. There was nothing that uh, I did to cause this or bring this on after much reflection. And uh, I get in there. I'm just trying to preach a sermon for Jesus. My mind keeps going, Blake. I can't preach it. Um, I, I'm like, it's getting, I'm like, please pray for me, church. I'm, I'm experiencing, I think, some spiritual warfare. And so they, you know, people are like, okay, give a moment. I go to, I'm like, I'm just going to read my sermon. I'm so, I'm just going to read it off the page. I go to read, and my computer just goes dark, just shuts off. It's fully charged. It shouldn't, I'm trying to get it back. I'm like, <laughs> my computer, the notes, they're not, I can't, okay. And so I'm like, please bear with me. I go get the charger. I plug it in. It, I plug it in. It will not come on. I'm like, okay. And somebody yells out, just preach from your heart like one of the prophets. Just start preaching. And I'm like, I didn't know what to do. I felt a lot of pressure to perform. And so I just started speaking from my heart. And, you know, a lot of good stuff came out, I guess. But I was terrified. I spoke for about 45 minutes. And I think that church at that time witnessed a, a spiritual battle on stage. And they may not have realized that's what they were experiencing. But I was in that moment filled with fear and anxiety at a level that I can't describe to you. And I got done, and I said, I'm done. And I just walked off the stage. I'm like, see you later. And I thought, my life is over. My career is over. They're going to want to fire me for this. Like, horrible. I go in the back room, and I have a nervous breakdown. That's what it was. And I'm just grieving and crying harder than I've ever cried in my life. And um, one of our associate pastors comes in. 
at some point in that sermon, one of our elders came up and goes, you know, Aaron, I think maybe you said enough. And, you know, he's like trying to gently guide him. I'm like, no, I'm not done. And, and, and then at the same time, I, I would literally said, they're probably going to fire me for this. I said that two or three times, which was just confusing to everyone. It was a, it was a spiritual battle. It was really terrible. I didn't know that's what it was, of course. It was, it was a breakdown on stage in front of everyone. So I go in the back. I really break down. I'm crying. And associate pastor comes in. Our lead pastor was on vacation. That's why I was preaching. <laughs> and uh, our associate pastor comes. He goes, I just have to ask you, are you going to preach next service? Because there was another service. I was like, I just turned. I was like, look at me. You think I'm going to preach? No, I'm not going to preach. He's like, where are your notes? I'm like, they're on my computer. But good luck with that. <laughs> It's funny now. Thanks for laughing. Anyways, it's okay. It is funny, I guess. Anyways, (laughs) he goes out. He somehow prints my notes out, and he preaches the second service for me. That started a period of my life that probably lasted for the next three years or so of horrific mental affliction, depression, (laughs) on the bad days, wanting to not live anymore. For probably about three years, it was incredibly severe for about a year. I was seeking a lot of help on my own. I didn't want to tell anyone in my church because they would think I'm crazy with what I was experiencing. I thought I thought I had something broke and I had mental problems is what I thought. Um, I was I listened to a lot of Joyce Meyer, Armor of God and Battlefield of the Mind in that season. Was seeking help because on my own because again, that's the church I was in. I don't think they would have known what to do with it if I tried to tell somebody what was happening to me. I did not want to be in ministry anymore. And I still had to get on a stage and try to lead worship every week. It was horrific. Um, I had what I think Joyce Meyer would call evil forebodings. I didn't realize till this year when I was in a prayer session with someone, they started telling me what they are experiencing. And I started getting excited because I was like, I've lived, I've had explicitly what you have. I can help you. It lasted for three years for me. Verbatim stuff you're saying. She goes, I'm diagnosed, it's called OCD, and we're not talking be neat and tidy in your house. It is obsessive, compulsive thoughts that are full of fear and anxiety and panic attacks and all the, all the stuff. And evil forebodings, um, every single day imagining very bad things happening to me or my family or me doing bad things or like I'm driving and it's like jerk your car into that tree or what, what if... I did, you know, and as I'm imagining that, and we're talking, there's no control, split second, um, it just comes, it just comes, it just happens, you can't control it, that's, that's the horrifying part, and when that imagination comes, it's a very vivid one, and you feel all the feelings as if you did do that, which, you know, they would probably diagnose as, oh, it's a panic attack, it's this, it's that, that is anxiety, da, 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 da. And that's what that was like. I praise God for redeeming our suffering. I praise the Holy Spirit for helping me and guiding me. 
I slowly got better over a period of about three years. I wasn't fully, fully, completely healed, and it's fully behind me for about five years. And some of the good that God brought out of it is it got me addicted to the Bible because every morning I woke up feeling as if I had killed someone the night before. The level of condemnation and guilt that I would feel, I'd wake up, and I would wake up every morning not wanting to get out of bed. And every day would start with, oh my gosh, I feel so horrible. And I would go, what, literally, first thought every day, what did I do yesterday? I had to have done something horribly wrong. I would retrace my day the day before for about a few minutes. I would come to the realization, I didn't do anything wrong. I would get up, and I'd be like, I need to read the Bible. And I would read the Bible for about an hour every day, first thing. And by the end of that hour, I would feel better. It, whatever that is would lift. When the Bible is your only medicine, you get addicted to it. And so that went on for some time. Usually what would happen, though, is by midday, I would start having those experiences again, and I would end the day in a bad place, go to sleep, and start all over the next day. So slowly over time, facing fears, my pastor was so gracious in that season. Three months after that preaching failure, he said, when are you preaching again? I'm like, I will never preach again. I'm not doing it. And he said, you know, it's kind of like somebody's learning how to dive and they jump off a high dive and they belly smack. He's like, if you never do it again, you'll never do it. And I go, I know. <laughs> he goes, no, you need to. And he, I thank God that he pushed me. And that next sermon was terrifying. But nothing happened. <laughs> I preached. It was uneventful. And I got off the stage and I was like, thank you, Jesus. And reading the scriptures and praying and then doing, doing the next right thing, if I can quote Frozen 2, I mean, every day. And it slowly, 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 slowly got better. So fast forward to 2016 when I'm sitting in Open Heaven Ministries deliverance training. And he goes, this is what spiritual warfare is. This is how it works. This is what it's like. And he starts, for example, you might have experienced this. And every example he gave that day applied to me. And it's just, it was just revelation of the spirit of God. You know what that was? It was demonic. That's what it was. It was spiritual oppression. It was spiritual warfare. And you would had no idea what to do with it. And so the Holy Spirit led me to do some things that helped over, and it took a very long time. When you know what you're doing and you know how to pray with authority and you can help somebody with that issue be set free, healed in one day in a two-hour prayer session and they don't have to go through the horrific three years that I went through and you wonder why I'm so passionate about it. That's why. But that's also why the first time I sat in a teaching, I went, I get it, trust me. When can I start doing it? And so during that time, what the Lord has since shown me is that was massive oppression. 
fear and anxiety, all the things. And what I was tempted with in that season was, um, this is your fault. Because you're messed up, you did mess up. Condemnation and guilt. And then because of the experiences I was having, the next temptation is, you're broken. You have a mental illness. And here's why, when it's actually not mental illness, and that was not mental illness, there is real mental illness when your brain degenerates and, you know, your brain helps control your thoughts, right? That's, that's a real thing. This was not that. This was spiritual warfare. And what they want you to think is you have mental illness. Why? Because if you receive that, guess, guess what your answer is? No hope. Go get some pills and numb yourself the rest of your life. So, when you're oppressed, when you experience warfare or what you think could be warfare, you need to pray and you need to ask Jesus for discernment. Ask Holy Spirit. Jesus says, if any of you ask wisdom, let him ask God. Ask God. Give me wisdom. Why is this happening? Search me and know me, God. If there's anything in me that is causing this, which we'll talk about next week, if I've made an agreement, if I'm believing a life, I've committed a sin, if I've gotten into something I shouldn't have gotten into, maybe that is why, maybe that is the open door. But man, when you do that process with the Lord and there's no good reason and you're pursuing God's will for your life in a greater way, and that really is the reason, that's called oppression. You don't need to repent. You need to stand firm in faith and you need to pray. And you need to pray in a specific way. Okay? And that specific way, what did Jesus do? When he said, it is written, he was addressing the very specific temptation. The scriptures he quoted, it wasn't like, you know, turn these stones into bread. It wasn't like, the Lord shall be with me. He wasn't just quoting random scriptures. He was quoting truth that specifically spoke to the lie he was being oppressed with. So you need to speak the word of God that addresses, pushes back the specific thought that the enemy is coming against or coming against you with. And so here's, what, here's a really good question. When you're experiencing a lot of negative things, negative emotions, negative thoughts, oppressive thoughts, or the other manifestations in your house that we've talked about, ask the Lord, why is this happening? And, search, and then when it's a feeling thing like panic attacks, depression, anxiety, why do I feel this way? What is bothering me? Why? Ask yourself, think through it, meditate. Meditate on that question. Search your, search your thoughts. Search back through your day. Why is this happening? Ask the Lord, and if there's no transgression in you or, in, or a lie you're believing, if it's just oppression, that's when you need to pray, okay? And so I would recommend, especially if you're new to spiritual warfare prayer, again, I will just, just beat this drum, pray the John Eldridge daily prayer. It's got four types of spiritual warfare, of renouncing the enemy, of standing firm in faith in the name of Jesus, by the blood of Jesus, the resurrection power of Jesus. I bring the dominion of Jesus against this warfare on my life. And man, that prayer, whenever I know I'm being oppressed, I'm telling you, nine times out of ten, when I've prayed that prayer, by the time I'm done praying it, 
the oppression has lifted and I'm feeling much better and I move on with my day. And so that's a really great prayer uh, to use. And again, in that prayer and in a lot of spiritual warfare prayer, there are declarative commands. Because when you stop buying into the deception that it's just your mind or your emotions or the bad circumstance you're in, wait, hold up, this is spiritual warfare. Oh, this is the devil. Oh, this is a demon. This is a spiritual force of evil. Uh Uh-huh. I know, I see you. I know you're there. In the name of Jesus, leave me alone. Okay? They can attack you in your sleep, in your dreams. You have nightmares. You have demonic dreams. Wake up. They want you to take it on. They want you to personalize it. Be full of shame that you even had a bad dream. No. In the name of Jesus. I do, I renounce that dream. I don't, maybe you do sinful things in the dream. No. It's a temptation. They're trying to get you to think about it all day and to pull you into it. No, in the name of Jesus, I cut that off. I renounce what happened in that dream. I don't want nothing to do with it. Leave me alone in the name of Jesus. And then you worship God, you praise God, and you get about your day. Think about whatever is good, excellent, praiseworthy, true, noble, so on and so forth. Think about such things, okay? Now, again, maybe you have a horrific dream. You did something sinful in the dream, and it's connected to something sinful you did the day before, okay? If that's the case, you need to repent. We're going to talk about that next week. So, I will say this. Oppression can be very, uh, expli- like in the case of Jesus and the temptation, it's, I mean, that's heavy. Uh, the devil appearing to you, demonic things, demons appearing, hearing voices, that's heavy oppression, Okay especially when you've done nothing to bring that on. I'll say this. I think those cases are almost easier to deal with. What do I mean by that? You know what it is. Yeah, well, that was a demon. <laughs> you need to pray. You need to do the house buzzing prayer. You need to tell where to go, okay? The devil often overplays his hand, and he knows this, especially in America, okay? We have people in this church who have been scared into faith by a demon, a non, here's one simple example. I prayed with this young couple right over there one Sunday a few years ago. Young couple, newly married. The husband's not a believer. The wife is a believer. She's been coming to our church by herself. Um, he comes with her one week. First week he's ever come. Why is that? Because the week before, he had a crazy night terror demonic dream. This had actually happened a few times, and this is the one that scared him to church. And he... In real life, he is acting out the demonic dream. That, and then when he wakes up and realizes um, he's doing things that he was doing in the dream or that a demon was doing in the dream, okay? And he wakes up and he's doing it. Or he, in this case, he was outside in the middle of their yard at night acting out this dream. And for the sake of some children in the room, I won't tell you what he was doing, but it was, very, it was a very fearful thing um, that freaked the wife out, <laughs> Right? And she's like, you need, and she's watching this happen. Why are you grabbing that? Why are you going out there? What are you doing, right? He's saying things in his sleep. So they come to church, and he tells me, and he's freaked out because he knows what happened in the dream, and he's freaked out by it. He's telling me right over here. I go, okay. And based on, again, I don't want to go into details for the sake of some children in the room, but Based on the details that were shared, I'm like, this is totally demonic. This wasn't just a bad dream. <laughs> this was a demon, bro. And so I go, well, here's, here's uh, 
here's what this is. I said, this uh, is a demonic entity. This is a demon that's attacking you, oppressing you, causing you to have these, do these things. Um, and and I, I'm explaining this very simply. This is what this is. This is not like uh, you don't have mental problems. This isn't blah, blah, blah. This is what this is. He goes, I believe you. I'm like, okay, here's the good news. Uh, Jesus is real too. He has all power and authority. Now, I can pray for you, and it'll leave you alone maybe while I'm at your house or for the day, but if you don't have Jesus in your life, there, I don't know what brought this into your life. Uh, they can come back any time at once, you know? And I didn't share with him the scary scripture about it getting seven more friends if he's not full of the Holy Spirit. I didn't share that. I just said it can come back. And I said, so, um, you know, if you knew Jesus, if you were saved, the Holy Spirit would fill you. You would have the power and authority of Jesus, and this thing will leave you alone. And if it doesn't, you can make it leave you alone. Just pray, and it will leave you alone. And he's like, okay. And I go, do you want to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And he goes, uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, pray this prayer. And he did. He got baptized a short time later. <laughs> so there's a few other examples I could share of that kind of thing happening. People getting scared into faith. That's evil. That's blatant demonic. Well, if that's real, then the Bible's probably true and Jesus is real. I'm going to church. <laughs> I could tell you a few other stories from our church family. Okay? The devil overplays his hand. Especially in America where his strategy is covert. I don't want you to know I exist. So he has to be careful. I think those situations are easier to deal with. Church family. Now, in light of that, please keep in mind 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. Which talks about the weapons that we fight with are not weapons of the world. They have power to demolish strongholds. And that last verse, verse 5 says, we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. So he knows if he appears to you as he appeared to Jesus, and he's like, bow down and worship me. Your, your first thought is probably going to be like, I'm going to church. <laughs> I'm going to learn spiritual warfare. I'm going to go to OHM's deliverance training. I am going to listen to that sermon seven more times. I'm going to memorize it word for word. I'm going to pray every day. I'm going to start fasting. <laughs> I'm going to be a warrior for God. Never want that to happen again. He knows that. So how does this oppression come most of the time on a daily basis? Thoughts. Genesis 3. Did God really say? Goes away, comes back the next day. Did God really say that? Mm, okay, goes away, comes back. You know, what if you did this? You know, you could be your own God. Just all these thoughts that aren't of God. Scattering his seed, looking for you to take hold of it. Okay? Thoughts, thought life, heart life, negative emotions, depression, anxiety, pressure. Uh, why don't you take your life? Suicidal thoughts things of this nature. Bad dreams that make you feel bad about yourself, make you feel bad. I can't sleep. I got problems. I don't know what to do with them. Pressure, pressure, pressure. He doesn't want you to know it's him. Okay? We trust God with the sonic boom. Okay? We trust God. Everybody's going to be safe. I don't know. What was that? I don't know. But we can't do anything about it except Lord Jesus help him. Okay? So let's finish this. So, my point is, we need, and I'll, I'll end with this quote from Joyce Meyer on this subject. 
because oppression is very often not as explicit as night terrors or demonic dreams or he appeared in my room or I'm hearing voices or my case, the horrific oppression I was under for three years. (laughs) It's often not that explicit. It's often way more subtle. So we need to do what Joyce Meyer says in her book, Battlefield of the Mind, which is a great book to read, by the way, on this subject. You need to start thinking about what you're thinking about all the time. What thoughts are coming into my head? Are they of the Lord or not? Am I partnering with them or not? Am I agreeing with them or not? What are my beliefs? What do I believe about this person? What do I believe about my marriage? What do I believe about my church? What do I believe about life? What do I believe about why I'm trying to live my calling or not? Because those beliefs are guiding your, those thoughts, beliefs are guiding your actions, which are ruling your life. And if they're not aligned with who God is or God's perspective, oh my goodness, you're going to have problems. And so an oppression can happen in in those ways. And so we need to know the word of God. We need to be very discerning. And we need to get it down to the thought level. And that's often where oppression starts, is in the thought life at the thought level, the emotional life at the heart level. Two main ways it will start, very, very small, which can have horrific ramifications if you don't recognize what it is and know how to deal with it, okay? All right, let's pray. Your homework tonight, (laughs) house blessing prayer, start praying that John Eldridge daily prayer, using it when you need it. Let's pray. God, we just thank you for our time together tonight. We bless your name, Father. (sighs) We thank you for freedom in this house. I thank you for freedom from oppression. I thank you that even though we live in a war and we get attacked all the time, oppression happens all the time, it's, it's just a fact of life. We don't need to fear it. We need to be aware of it. And I thank you that when we become trained and equipped in spiritual warfare, when it happens, it's no big deal because we know what to do and we pray and we command and we worship and we read your word. We make the enemy leave us alone or leave our family alone, or leave our friends alone, or leave our church alone, and then we get back to worshiping you, and loving you, and doing the good works you've called us to do. And so, I just thank you for that, and I thank you for the equipping you're doing tonight. And I do pray the impartation, God, of discerning of spirits. I pray for wisdom and discernment in discerning spiritual warfare from natural causes, I pray that you would help us to take captive every thought that's not of you, but that means, that means we have to know the thoughts that are going through our head and our beliefs and our feelings and why we're having those feelings or those thoughts and to be able to discern what the root source is so that we know how to deal with them. And I thank you that your Holy Spirit, you will give us insight. You will give us clarity. And that when it is oppression, not not a stronghold, not we've sinned, not we've done something wrong. It is oppression of the enemy that we will not personalize it, that we will not take it on as our own, our own thoughts even, that we will not be filled with shame, but we will go, no, this is the enemy. I've done nothing to deserve this. I stand with the armor of God. I put on my helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness, belt of truth, 
ready my feet with the gospel of peace, take up the short shield of faith with which I extinguish every flaming arrow, and I take the sword of the word of God and teach this church, God, how to pray scripture, how to quote scripture, how to declare scripture over their lives, over our families, over our nation, to bring us into alignment with your word, and, and give us that boldness and confidence and courage to command the enemy to leave us alone, leave our families alone, to leave our church family alone. And we just thank you for that, that when we resist in these ways, he will flee because he's already a defeated enemy. And we praise you for that, Jesus. We love you for that, Jesus. We thank you for the insight, wisdom, and clarity you're bringing in this church. I thank you that revelation is happening. I thank you that even tonight as people are assessing their inner lives and going, wait a second, I have those thoughts. I have anxiety. I have depression. I have that. I have these things happening in my home. Oh, my goodness, there's that object. I know when I get home, I need to get rid of it. That's all happening tonight, and we praise you for that. And great freedom is going to be coming to more and more and more people. And we praise you. And I just thank you for protection tonight and in advance over this week, over our church family, because the devil hates the fact that we're talking about this, we're exposing his lies, and that we don't need to, he, he's, he wants to try to retaliate, wait for more opportune times. We don't need to fear that. I just thank you for greater protection for the churches and the Christians who are stepping into greater warfare. You promise it. Nothing will harm you. And so thank you for greater protection. Thank you for greater authority and confidence. And send angels right now to minister to your people, to help them with these things, and to provide greater protection that you would send angels to wage war against the forces of evil, to protect our households and our children. And I just praise you for that. I renounce any fear or fear of the enemy or fear of the demonic or fear of evil, and uh, that you would give us great peace, even as we realize that when we're encountering these things, people are victims and they just need help. And we're the ones who can help them. So I just thank you for that. We love you, Lord Jesus. We praise your name. And thank you for our time together tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.